Well, good morning, Menlo Church. So good to see you. So good to be with you, whether you're joining us from one of our campuses down in Saratoga, Mountain View, San Mateo, Menlo Park, or you're with us online. Uh, we really are so honored that you would choose to spend a few minutes of your weekend with us. If you're with us at one of our campuses, you get to be a part of a really special experience this weekend. Um, as a matter of fact, this weekend is really specifically dedicated um, to highlighting people who are taking a personal faith in Jesus and have never taken that step to go public with their faith through baptism. And uh, so you're going to see some people go public with their commitment to follow Jesus at all of our campuses. There's already been some pretty incredible stories of that around Menlo Church uh, this morning. Pretty incredible. Now, since Easter, uh, we have been working to help people find Jesus through things like exploring Christianity and Starting Point. And last weekend, Donovan did an incredible job talking about why it's so important and how we might practically share the good news of Jesus and help people find that. If you missed uh, that talk from Donovan last week, I'd highly encourage you to go online and catch up. So before we get started in our time today, I'm going to pray for us. And if you've never been here before or never heard me speak, uh, I pray kneeling. And the reason that I do that is because what we're about to talk about and the supernatural act of God working in your life, I can't do. It doesn't matter how prepared I am. It doesn't matter what I say. Ultimately, it's the work of God in your life that will bring it about. And so I'm going to pray right now that God would do that for us, whether it's the very first time or maybe there's just some business with God that you need to do, whether you realized it or not. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much. Thank you that even though we can come in distracted, even though our ideas can be distorted, even though our lives can feel completely destroyed, that God, you can meet us there. Sometimes, God, that's exactly where you want to. And so I pray that today, for some that maybe don't know you at all, that today would be the day they'd choose to follow you. For some of us, God, that maybe our faith has strayed over time, you would call us back. And for some, God, who need to have a personal faith become public, that they might take a step they didn't even know they were ready to take until right now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we have all heard of Fairweather fans before, right? It's the kind of person who only roots for a team when they do really well, and then the moment the team stops doing well, they stop rooting for them. Some of you started and stopped being Warriors fans this week. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, as a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan, honestly, I can't really relate to the problem because there has never been a fair weather moment as a Cleveland Browns fan. Um, but I understand the concept. And if you're a Warriors fan, uh, you should appreciate how good the team is, even if they don't win at all, even if they don't bring a championship back every year. They're a great team. Sorry, Donovan. Like, they just, they genuinely are. But sports are just sports, right? Uh, they'll let you into a game if you have a ticket. You can be a Fairweather fan without being a dedicated follower, right? Do you see where I'm going? See, in our faith, some of us, we have drifted to a place where we have a Fairweather faith. The only time it ever crosses our mind, the only time we think about or do anything different with it is when we're desperate for it. One of the ways that we quarantine our faith is by keeping it very hidden in our lives. And to be clear, faith is designed to be personal, but never private. We make our faith private when we are scared of what would happen if others knew that we were following Jesus. 
following Jesus and believing the gospel, the good news, it means that we believe that the God of the universe created humanity in his image with infinite dignity, value, and worth, that God loves us immeasurably. And in our DNA and in our choices, we choose to go against the plan of God. It's what the Bible calls sin. And the way that our relationship that we broke and continue to break is restored and redeemed by God is that he sent his son to live a perfect life on your and my behalf, to die the death that we should have, and then come back from the grave so that we can turn from our way of life, that we can believe and receive the gift that God has made available through the act that Jesus did for you and me. And we can choose to follow him for the rest of our lives. And we'll experience abundant life today and eternal life waiting. That is the gospel. And that idea, right, that I'm going to choose to believe that. I know that it doesn't come without a cost, especially in the Bay Area. From relationships that might change to reputations that might take a hit, I can see it. I understand. So here's what happens. We are tempted to contort our faith into something that gets us into heaven and keeps us out of hot water with other people, right? But what about bringing heaven here? What about a faith that's so bold, that's so loving, that people can't help but see Jesus in you? That's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus, he issued a strong warning, by the way, for private faith. He says this, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So maybe for some of you, you're like, Phil, that honestly was a challenging five minutes. I think that's enough. Let's just wrap it up. But one of the ways that we do this as followers of Jesus is to get baptized. We do this a couple different ways here at Menlo, but today you're going to see people being baptized in water to show their devotion to Jesus. And it's less about exactly what that looks like. It's more about the meaning behind it. And there are some people who came this weekend at all of our campuses that have said, this is my moment. I'm going to go public with my faith. I'm going to get baptized for the first time ever. But I also think that there are some folks in here where you didn't walk in thinking that you were going to get baptized, but God did. You didn't think that today was the day you were going to go public with a personal faith. It's been years and you felt like God's maybe been calling you towards it, but you've been pushing it away. And today's the day, like the ball underneath the water, that it pops out and God's going to say, take the step. And so after I'm finished, campus pastors across all of Menlo will share a little bit about what that looks like, that if you feel like God's calling you to take your personal faith and make it public, today could be that day. We have a place for you to change. We have clothes for you to change into. We have somebody that would love to pray with you. If there's a chance that God might be doing that in your life, I just want to make sure you know our goal is to remove as many barriers as possible if you want to consider taking that step today. If you feel God directing you this way. Now, the, the reason that we do this, the reason that we take a step like this is because personal faith brings you to heaven, but public faith brings heaven here. The Bible says that for every sinner who repents. For every person who becomes a follower of Jesus, there's a party in heaven. And I think when we celebrate baptism, when we see faith be made public, we get to see a piece of this. And so we're going to spend a few minutes looking at where we find baptism first in the New Testament of your Bible. And it started as public repentance, a word that maybe we don't talk about a whole lot. Now, I wonder, when is the last time that you had to apologize? 
If it's been a few days or maybe if it's been a few weeks, I might just challenge you as a pastor that you may not be apologizing enough in your life, right? I grew up uh, in a kind of cultural moment where there wasn't a lot of apologies being given, especially from my parents. Um, and as a parent, I've tried to make sure that I actually do apologize. And uh, I know it was like something that as a parent, it didn't come supernaturally. I'm sure there were lots of reasons uh, why my parents, maybe it wasn't as normal for them. And I'm not always great at it, but I really want to try and make sure it's still a part of my parenting. And the thing is, I'm not always perfect at seeing when I need to do it or how I need to do it. But one thing I'm really careful about is I don't want to give fake apologies. And I think a lot of us get in trouble because we issue fake apologies. You know what I'm talking about? We say things like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Some of you are like, I said that this week, right? Or I'm sorry you took it that way. By the way, that person is apologizing for you. That's not even close to an apology. Uh, I'm sorry uh, if you are overly sensitive. I'm sorry if you can't take a joke. I'm sorry, but... No, no, no. There's no buts except yours in an apology. Not a real one, right? So don't fake apologies. We have turned fake apologies into an art form in part because we don't live in a culture that believes in forgiveness anymore. We have removed it. We all perform as though we're perfect, and then the moment anyone proves that they're not, we cancel them. That's the way it works in our culture. But Tim Keller, a pastor and an author in New York City, he wrote an essay called The Fading of Forgiveness. And in it, he put it this way. He said, forgiveness is seen now as radically unjust and impractical, as short-circuiting the ability of victims to gain honor and virtue as others rise to defend them. Doesn't that feel true? Now, I know that this isn't a popular problem to name, but our passage today is going to give us a look into one of the reasons that our version of repentantless faith is contributing to the fading of forgiveness in our moment. Our passage starts at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and there is this guy named John the Baptist who has been baptizing people and giving a very simple message along the way over and over and over again. Our passage begins this way. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, John, he has become kind of a celebrity at this point 2,000 years ago. People of all kinds, people of significant means and status are listening to him. People that would be considered the least of these, the uh, marginalized in society, they're listening to him, and they're coming to get baptized. And the only message that he gives every single day, over and over and over again, the kingdom of God is near, repent. And then it was a baptism service. And some of you were like, when are we doing that service? That sounds way shorter, you know? But every time he did it, there would be lines of people. They didn't totally know what to do with it. They just knew that their world was upside down and they weren't sure how to do anything to make it better, but they knew there was something in them that needed to change. And he was highlighting that that idea of repentance and change was necessary. See here, he clarifies that he never saw himself as God. He never saw himself as what the Bible calls the Messiah, which is the idea of the rescuer promised for 
actually centuries before Jesus would come onto the scene, but instead he was preparing the way for the Messiah. And repentance was this vehicle that John talked about. It was this way to understand that something needed to change. We needed to pivot from one way of life to a different way of life. And I think that sometimes we get in trouble because we articulate a faith that has no need of repentance. Jesus is an optional add-on. He is a side dish. He is an accessory to your otherwise normal life. If I apologize to my kids for getting frustrated or annoyed, but I never name my part in the situation, I never commit to improvement, and I never demonstrate any change in my choices, I may have apologized, but I have not repented. Repentance is a commitment to change. And look, apologizing is a part of that. The Bible uses another word called the word lament. It's an important word. It means I'm sorry, but lamenting and repenting are different. Some of you feel very sorry about things in your life. You have lamented over them, but you have not changed. You have not repented. Lament might be the first step to repent, but it actually has to bring change. See, when we're kids and we get in trouble, sometimes adults, they'll say to us, they'll say, are you sorry that you did it or are you sorry that you got caught. There was a mom out there that I heard real loud say that. She has said that one super recently, right? There's a big difference between those things. And the underlying language of faith in the New Testament is very, is very helpful here. John, he honors Jesus and he talks about the type of baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire that Jesus is going to bring. And he uses this metaphor of Jesus filtering out who is really a part of this new kingdom and who isn't a part of this new kingdom that John's been talking about. And it isn't that Jesus' baptism isn't trying to include repentance. Now, for Jesus, he doesn't need to repent. We repent because we have sin in our lives. We've done something wrong that we're changing. Jesus didn't have any of that. But he is really connecting this principle of repentance we see from John the Baptist, and he is setting an example of obedience that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But faith has been described as a coin with two sides. One is the faith to believe and follow Jesus, but the other side is that it requires us to set aside and change the paths of sin that separate us from that faith commitment. We can't do one without really doing the other. See, some people, especially people who have more of a charismatic theology, uh, they're going to point out to this passage um, from John, and they're going to highlight ways that they believe there is another baptism, what they'll call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That there's one baptism that you have, and then somewhere later, then you get the Holy Spirit. And look, I don't think that's what John is alluding to here. The work of God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling followers of Jesus, giving them power, that happens after Jesus ascends to heaven in the book of Acts that talks about the early church 2,000 years ago. Um, but I believe the, that the Bible teaches that once the Holy Spirit indwells those first followers of Jesus at Pentecost, that every person who chooses to follow Jesus instantly is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So I think really what we're looking at here is this reminder that there are actually a couple different types of baptism in the Bible. There's one that often is referred to as spirit baptism or the work of God inside you and me that we might receive and believe the good news that I can't get to God on my own. And the good news is I don't have to get to God on my own. That I can be restored to God because of his grace period, not my own effort. 
The Apostle Paul highlights it this way. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, this baptism, it shows up all throughout the New Testament of your Bible. And it's necessary for us to find and follow Jesus. We wouldn't be able to do it without that. God may use information or a key relationship or even a tragedy in your life to bring this about, but ultimately it requires him supernaturally working in us for us to determine and detect our need for him. So therefore, then we see this other side of it, right? The act of water baptism that we see here, it's this act of surrender where we admit that we aren't in charge and that without God's intervention, we would be without hope or help. We are acknowledging that all of that is found in the person and work of Jesus. When I was in college, I was driving to meet my mom at church and uh, I was running late. And as I turned a corner, uh, there was a police officer driving the other way and I was running uh, late and driving like I was running late. So much so that the moment I saw that police officer, before I saw him flip on his lights, I just pulled over. Like I, I knew, I was like, okay, you got me. And the thing is, when I was in high school, um, I was really good at getting speeding tickets. It was like a spiritual gift. And, um, and so it had been a few years. I knew that that was not great. My insurance company kept telling me that that was not great. Um, and it had been several years since I'd gotten a speeding ticket. And so uh, when the police officer came up and asked me what I was doing, I'm sure he hears it all the time. I'm going to church, you know. And uh, he goes back and he checks my record. And he said, wow, you know, like it's been a little while, but this speeding ticket would hurt. And I was like, yes, sir, it would. Absolutely. And he asked the question right at first, right, that, that maybe you've heard asked to you before. Do you know why I pulled you over? And I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely know. Yeah. I absolutely knew. He eventually let me, hallelujah, go with a warning. A warning I did not deserve, by the way. And in that moment, I went and worshiped the Lord very much that morning, very thankful, because I deserved the ticket. But when he checked my record, it wasn't that I was being nice, and I know that there were other factors societally into why I didn't get a ticket in that moment, but one of the reasons was because he could see that I actually hadn't been getting speeding tickets, right? Some of you, you think that repentance is this one-time act, this idea that maybe earlier in your life, you made a decision, you prayed a prayer, you committed to following Jesus, and you had this version of repentance where you turned from one way and you chose to follow Jesus. You did that one time. That's great, but it is not a one-time act. It is this thing that we are actually called to do over and over and over again in our lives. Pastor John Mark Comer puts it this way. He says, most people think of repentance as a heavy, somber religious duty. In reality, authentic biblical repentance is a life-giving art renewing the entire soul. So I just wonder, where do you need to let that life-giving act of repentance flow into your life today? What needs to change? For some, you've been following Jesus for many years, and without realizing it, you have become a fair-weather follower. And God is showing you something right now, some area of compromise, something where you have made your faith in God friendly with the ways of the world that you know are not friendly to your faith. For others of you, there is a sense in which your pursuit of life without God is at the very core of who you are. Or maybe for you, the God that you have defined, the way you have shaped and molded the God you are willing to worship, but the God of the Bible will not conform to your image. 
So how can you, in repentance, be transformed into his? That's what the gospel promises. That's the good news of Jesus for each and every one of us. Remember, personal faith brings us to heaven, but public faith, it brings heaven right here, right now. After John describes this incredible moment with Jesus, the story that includes Jesus and sets a part of baptism for the believer as public obedience, public obedience. We see that especially in Jesus' ministry because he did not himself, for the same reasons we get baptized, need to get baptized. Personal faith becomes private when all the ways that we observe it are hidden from view. It's a delicate balance, right? Because some of the religious leaders that Jesus had some of the biggest problem with, the reason that he had problems with them is because they were functioning publicly with their faith exclusively. It's the only place that their faith lived. They were doing it just to be noticed. But I think that the problem is that some of us, we do the exact opposite. Out of a desire to avoid being weird or being judged, we end up looking no different than the world around us that knows nothing of God. Before we moved here from Colorado, there were lots of Californians moving to Colorado. I mean, like lots of them. I don't know if you knew people were leaving California, but I made the joke on my way out that there was this deal that the government made that for every 10,000 Californians that moved to Colorado, there had to be one that moved from Colorado to California, and we drew the short straw, right? <laughs> and Colorado, by the way, Coloradans are not big fans of this migration, if you, weren't, if you were wondering. As a matter of fact, when people move from California, they're pretty low-key about it. Like, I think they have California or Colorado license plates sent ahead of them so that they don't drive around with California plates because it's going to create some social cost when people find out that they're from California. On the other side, when I tell people that we moved to California from Colorado, usually their first question is essentially an elaborated why. <laughs> And I've gotten pretty good over the years at trying to avoid knowing where the conversation is going to kind of take a turn. But like Donovan talked about last week, I can also see that it's this invitation from God to engage in an intentional conversation about the fact that we felt called by God to be here for a purpose. See, I think lots of us, we have these invitations all the time to engage around faith through simple acts of public obedience. But the question is, do you take the invitation? How do you show up in that meeting at work? How do you show up in your neighborhood gossip session this week? How do you show up on social media? Because in a world that has no room for grace, no room for forgiveness, is constantly angry and outraged, you can be an agent of grace and reconciliation. Not weird, but different that you would look more like Jesus. See, Jesus, he didn't need baptism to be saved. He was the one doing the saving. The act for him was about obedience to prophecy, fulfilling these promises that were made about Jesus hundreds of years before his earthly ministry ever began, and these things called messianic prophecies. And to set this example for you and me to follow, Matthew, he records the moment this way. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill those prophecies. 
Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, 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 with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine that moment? You imagine a moment where everybody that had ever listened to John the Baptist, they had heard the spiel, they had heard the sermon, they had seen how the cadence of the line worked, they knew how people got baptized, and yet here they were hearing John talk about this one random guy that showed up, and John was saying that that guy should baptize him, and the line stopped, and the way that this had worked every day didn't work that way anymore. If you celebrated Easter with us, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the sky grew dark, And here at Jesus' baptism, we see the clouds part. We see the dove come down. We hear the voice of the Father. There is something so much bigger. See, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. And a part of that process is being baptized, setting an example of public obedience, even for him. But John, he didn't didn't even want to do it. And I get it. I understand why John would be a little hesitant to baptize Jesus in this moment. But Jesus knew the bigger plan. As Jesus is coming out of the water, imagine the moment, the sun piercing through, God the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. See, people, they were unsure of who Jesus was before this. Imagine how confusing this moment must have been. Nobody had a smartphone. No one was live streaming this. Nobody blogged about it. The only people who would ever believe that this really happened before the resurrection took place are the people who were at it. And I bet even they started to doubt along the way that they saw what they really saw. See, I don't think that we'll have any doves that descend during baptisms later, although who knows, we'll see. But I think public obedience has the power to be confounding in our cultural moment. It doesn't make sense. The idea that he would choose to do this, to set an example for us, that today we would repent of a path that the world accepts and obey a God that the world doesn't. That's what public faith does. See, we see the whole trinity in this passage, that there's one God in three persons in the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We see God the Spirit come like a dove as God the Son is being baptized, as God the Father's voice is radiating down from the heavens in approval of his Son. And when we choose to follow Jesus, that unity, that approval, that acceptance, and that grace flows to you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's already done. If you've never made a personal decision to follow Jesus, I actually am gonna give you a chance to do that in just a minute. There are so many times throughout ministry where I have watched this God that we read about in the scripture use public repentance and public obedience to draw people to himself. People I would have never thought were ready to believe. Just a few years ago, there was a man in our church in Colorado who had recently decided to follow Jesus having practiced Hindu his entire life. Christian had helped him in a time of need and there was a relationship formed. He, he, he explored Christianity because 
what he was experiencing, this relationship, he had no categories for. Eventually, he would become a follower of Jesus, and as he did it, it changed him. He would share with me about areas of his life that he knew needed to be addressed, repentance that God was calling him to. And one of those areas was the way that he treated his mom. And as a result, his mom started attending church because she was surprised to see this big of a difference in her son's life. And to be honest, she wanted to make sure that he hadn't joined a cult, which is fair, right? I still remember a baptism service that we did where he came up to me to let me know that his mom was herself getting baptized after making a decision to follow Jesus. His mom uh, was 84 years old, Hindu her entire life. And yet something about the public obedience and public repentance of her son showed her Jesus. I can't convince an 84-year-old to repent of a sincere faith in something else. I can't convince a professional Silicon Valley software developer, executive engineer to repent of the world's definition of success. I can't convince you as a student that striving for a perfection that you will never attain needs to change. I can't do that. I don't have the power to. But the good news is I don't have to. And neither do you. We simply live lives of public repentance and honest public obedience. Not weird faith, but winsome faith. Faith that engages the mind, the body, the heart, the soul. A faith that learns and grows, but leaves God on his throne and submits our life to his vision for it. So today, Menlo Church, this is the choice that you have to make. Will you admit that you need a savior? That your life is incomplete, insufficient, and inadequate to meet God's standards with it? Will you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and His perfect life, His sacrificial death, and His supernatural resurrection secured your abundant life today and eternal life tomorrow? And will you confess through public repentance and honest public obedience? I know that God is working in some of you right now. And one of the ways that we do this is just give you a chance to pray a simple prayer. This prayer is not a magic spell. It's just a prayer that if you mean this in your heart, God can use it as a marker in your life. That first step of repentance, to turn from your way, receive the gift he's made available, and choose to follow him. So Menlo, if you call Menlo Church home and you're a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna pray this prayer. You just repeat it out loud with me. And if you need to make a decision for the very first time to follow Jesus, you pray this prayer too. If you're not ready, that's totally fine. But I believe God's gonna save some folks right here, right now. Would you pray with me? Dear God, so if you're a follower of Jesus and you call Menlo home, you repeat this out loud with me. Ready? Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making a way back that I could never earn on my own. Thank you for sending your son to live the life that I couldn't, to die the death that I should and to come back from the grave. I surrender my life to you. I give my future to you. I choose to follow you every day. Thank you for a brand new start and an eternity with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. God bless you, Menlo Church.